Well, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, then you know that we've been moving through a series that we're calling God's Word, God's Will, and My Life, and in which we're asking this really, really important question of what does God's Word say about how I can figure out what God's will is for my life, or we've put it a little bit more simply, hey, God, how do I know what you want me to do? And we're all on board, I think, at this point with the fact that that is an important question. We've said we want to know what God wants us to do next because we're all interested in living excellent lives. Now, we're not all in agreement in terms of what an excellent life looks like, and that's part of this process, but nevertheless, we're all on board with the idea that we want to live an excellent life, and I think we're also on board with the fact that an excellent life is largely the result of a series of excellent decisions, who you are today, where you are today, even your seat right now is largely the result of the decisions that you've made. So we all want to lead excellent lives, and excellent life is largely the result of a series of excellent decisions. And then here's the closer. Are you ready? Excellent decisions are the only kind of decisions God knows how to make. So, hey, God, how do I know what you want me to do? Because, well, I know that whatever it is, it's excellent. So that's what we've been talking about. And last week, we started talking about how does God communicate His will to us. And we said there are at least six different ways that God speaks to His people today. However, we paused right there and stopped and said something very, very, very important. We said, look, don't get too excited about that. I mean, that is exciting, don't get me wrong, but don't think that I'm giving you, you know, the magic code to the ATM machine of the will of God, and you can just show up completely separate and apart from a relationship with Him on those rare occasions when maybe you're interested in what He thinks on something, and you can take Tom's magic code and plug that into the machine, and out will spit God's direction for your life, and then you can decide whether in obedience to follow it or it doesn't work that way. Whereas the Bible teaches that God does speak to His people today, the Bible also clearly teaches that God speaks to those who are in a deep and abiding and meaningful relationship with Him. When it comes to discerning the will of God, guys, relationship is the key. You cannot skip it. If you want to know what God's will is, you need first to know God. He's the goal. And everything follows from there. And all the analogies of Scripture seem to teach us that. We saw that too. Jesus comes along, He says, I'm the good shepherd, you're my sheep. And here's the thing, you know my voice. In other words, you know when I'm speaking that it's me. And not only do you know that it's me, but you know what I'm saying. And not only do you know what I'm saying, but you know how I feel about what I'm saying. The nuances of communication come to you as you come to know the good shepherd. You know his voice because, well, you know him. He's the master. We're the servants. Do you remember? And we're not the reluctant servants. We're not the resentful servants. We're not going, oh, good grief. I wonder what he's going to ask me to do next, you know? He's going to make me work for him again today. We're the servants who have been given a purpose and a mission by our master. We're like jazzed to be his servants. Why? Because we know him. We know His nature. We know His character. We know that He's good, not evil, generous, not stingy. We know that He's for us and not against us. We know that He comes blessing and not cursing, giving, not merely taking. We know who He is, and it is a joy and a privilege to serve Him. And then we talked about the fact that the Bible says that He's our Father, we're His children. I like that one the best, frankly. And maybe I like that one the best because I have a really great earthly father. So I've got that going for me. And pause for a moment. That's a lot to have going for you guys. That's a big deal. 
But you know, I explained to you last week how I grew up in a household of my dad. And by growing up in the household of my dad, I came to know my dad. I knew what he stood for. I knew what he valued. I knew what pleased and displeased him. I knew how he thought. And it got to the point, frankly, where, you know, a little bit into this process, I started realizing I don't need to go ask him what he thinks I ought to do in this particular situation. I don't need to ask him how he feels about this. I really don't need to wonder about what decision he would have me make. And do you know why that is? Because I already knew what he would say. How did I know what he would say? I know him. I know him. That's the way it works with the Lord. The Lord has given you his mind in this book called the Bible. Here it is. Everything that you need for faith and obedience and life in Christ is right here. He has given it to us. And the idea is that the more we prayerfully get into this book, understand this book, commune in faith with God in this book, the better we will get to know Him. And the better we will get to know Him, the less we'll have to guess about what it is that He wants us to do. In fact, most of the time, you know, after some time in this process, we'll get to the point where, you know, I know what He says. I don't have to ask. I know how he feels. I know what he stands for, values, how he thinks. He's not hiding it from me. He's told me. But what about those times when you don't know? Because that does happen. There are those moments where you go, okay, listen, I, most of the time I'm, I'm on board, but, but right now I, I've got to figure out what it is, Lord, that you want me to do in this decision that I've got to make. And, and usually they're not small decisions. And so we said that there are six different ways that we're phrasing his questions. And the first and most important question to ask when it comes to discerning God's will is, what does His Word say? The number one way that God speaks to His people is through this book. Do not skip that question. It is the starting point, and if God speaks clearly to you, it is the ending point. You never need to make it to question number two. What does God's Word say? And sometimes He speaks directly to us in His Word. You know, thou shalt not do this. Thou shalt do this. I mean, when we read that, it's like it's an open and shut book, literally, pun intended. You just close it and go, yep, I know what the mind of Christ is on this particular issue, thou shalt not or thou shalt. But sometimes, not so much. Sometimes it's not quite that clear. But that doesn't mean that God has left us without guidance. Should I marry Jim? Should I not marry Jim? Oh, and what about Sue? Should I marry Sue? Should I not marry Sue? Well, you're not going to turn in your Bible to Psalm, you know, 68, verse 3, and it's going to say, thou shalt marry Jim. Fantastic! (laughs) Thou shalt not marry Sue. I don't know how I feel about that. That's part of the problem, our heart, isn't it? But he hasn't left us without guidance. He speaks clearly in here to the type of character and genuine spirituality that you're to look for in a husband or, for that matter, in a wife. And that you're to look for in a father and, for that matter, a mother. You're like, well, wait a minute. I thought we were just talking about a husband and wife. Yeah, but if a husband and wife have children, they then become a father or a mother. He gives us information. He guides us and not ambiguously. You know what the problem is? Just about every, everybody here is or was a Jim or Sue. Isn't that right? It's exactly right. Some of you are thinking, wow, this is really helpful like 10 years ago. Thanks a lot. Now what? Now you go to your father and you pray for Jim or Sue. 
Now you be the best husband and wife for Jim or Sue that you could possibly be. You allow Jim or Sue to see the reality of your faith in Christ in your life being lived out and the fruit of the wisdom of God as you find it in this book being played out as God shapes and forms your character. And you pray that God will turn Jim or Sue into the Jim or Sue that he pictures in his book and that he'll do the same for you. He does that all the time, and I am so thankful for that. But don't ignore what he says on the front end either. So when it comes to discerning the will of God, you've got to start with the question of what does God's Word say? Question number one. But then if that's not clear, well, then you move to question number two. What's that? What does my heart say? Now think about that because if through this process you are gaining the mind of God and your mind is becoming more like his mind and your heart is becoming more like his heart and your character is being shaped and formed by his spirit and through his word and it's becoming more like his character, then all of a sudden you're going to stop desiring things you used to desire and you're going to start desiring things that are quite surprising to you at times. Why? Because these new desires... Well, they're the desires of the Lord, and He's placing them into your heart. That's what the psalmist says, Psalm 34, verse 7, or actually Psalm 37, verse 4. That's what I get for not turning the page. What does He say? He says, delight yourself in the Lord. Don't run past that. That's a really big qualifying phrase. Make God your delight. Grow in your relationship with Him. Make your mind to be more like his mind and so forth. And then what will happen? And he will give you the desires of your heart. As your heart becomes like his, as your mind becomes like his, as your character becomes like his, your desires will follow. He'll put his desires in you. And then, and this has really got to be cool if you're God, he will then give you what both he and you now desire. It's fantastic. It's beautiful, really. So when it comes to discerning the will of God, question one, what does God's Word say? If that answers it, you're done. If it doesn't, question two, what does my heart say? What are the desires of my heart? If I'm really pursuing Christ, my heart is becoming more trustworthy, not less. What does my heart say? If that answers it, you're done. If not, Then question number three is, what does wise counsel say? Because the third way that God speaks to His people today is through wise counsel. Listen to what Solomon says and and hear how he says this. And understand that this man, the Bible tells us, was the wisest man who ever lived apart from Jesus Himself. And please also understand that he himself practiced this idea of gaining wise counsel. So if he needed it, sign me up. He says this in Proverbs 1, verse 5, he says, let the wise hear and increase in learning. And then he says, and the one who understands obtain guidance. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't say, let the fool hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands nothing, okay, he needs to get some guidance. He is speaking to those who are already wise, and he's saying, hey, hey, there's more to come. There's more wisdom to be had, and the wise person understands that. You know, a good education is an education which reveals to you that the more you learn, the more you realize how much more there is to learn. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. If the wise need to do that, how much more do we? 
Proverbs 11, verse 14, where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in an abundance of counselors, there's what? There's safety. Proverbs 12, verse 15, oh, please listen to this one. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. Now, time out for a minute, just like in your mind, get out the mirror and be honest, because all of us do this at times. We are by nature a stubborn people, all of us. He says, the, the way of a, oh, it's painful. The way of a, of a fool, he says, is right in his own eyes. The fool is the guy who thinks that he has it all figured out. He doesn't need your help. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you. Thank you for that little bit of whatever that was. Oh, I'll consider that. Yeah. Really? You've ransacked the universe and availed yourself of all of its information. You've got it all figured out, don't you? The stubborn man is a foolish man. The one who is not open to persuasion, foolish. Let us humble ourselves and recognize just how much actually there is to learn. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. Now listen to the contrast. But a wise man does what? He listens to counsel for he understands that it's oftentimes through wise counsel that God speaks. Proverbs 13, verse 10, with those who take advice as wisdom. Proverbs 13, verse 20, personal favorite of mine, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools might on occasion suffer harm. Just might possibly be harmed. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, period. But the companion of fools will suffer harm. Got to take a hard look at your companions, don't you? Who do you walk with? Who do you do life with? Who has your ear? Who influences you? Proverbs 15, verse 22, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. Proverbs 19, verse 20, listen to the advice or to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Proverbs 20, verse 18, plans are established how? By counsel. Proverbs 27, verse 9, I mean, I'm detecting a theme. I don't know about you. The sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Guys, when God's word is not clear on what you should do, when your heart is confused and not clear on what you should do, well, then you reach question number three, what does wise counsel say? And the question then becomes, well, who qualifies as a wise counselor? I mean, I get the idea, but who should I talk to? And I want to give you some thoughts on that. I think that, first of all, wise counselors are established followers of Jesus. Key word, established. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because I don't think we need to. Think about it this way. I don't think that you can reasonably expect to hear the voice of the Good Shepherd coming out of the mouth of someone who does not himself know the Good Shepherd. Do you? Is somebody who doesn't know the mind of God going to give you the mind of God? Is somebody who doesn't know the heart of God going to give you the heart of God? Is somebody whose character is not being formed into the character of God going to give you advice that is consistent with the desires of God? Is that going to happen? I think the answer to that is highly unlikely. I'm just going to go with no. But practically speaking, then you need to let that work your way out in its life. I mean, take a look at your counselors for a moment 
and start weighing them out on this scale. Wise counselors are, first of all, established followers of Jesus. Secondly, they're people whom you can count on to tell you the truth no matter what. They're willing to take that relational risk. You know, as you get older in life, and and particularly if you ever get involved in leading things, what you're going to discover in life is that there are people who will tell you what you want to hear, and then there are people who will tell you what you need to hear. It's the people who will tell you that what you need to hear that you want to talk to when you want to hear from the Lord. Value those people. Treasure those people. Cultivate your relationship with those people. Empower those people to speak the truth to you in love. And they will give you great wisdom. Remember about a year ago, I got a call from a good friend of mine, and I normally call him for advice, so this was unusual. And he had had an encounter with somebody at lunch, and it was not, you know, necessarily a pretty thing, and he really needed to deal with it that day. So he had figured out, and he's a very wise guy, exactly how he was going to do it, exactly why he was going to do it and all that stuff. And he happened to mention to his wife about what had happened and what he was planning to do. And she said, whoa, wait a minute. Whoa, 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 hang on a second. Bad idea. You shouldn't do that. He's like, well, what do you mean bad idea? I shouldn't do that. And she said, well, you shouldn't do it for this reason and for this reason and for this reason and for this reason. He's like, yeah, but what about this and what about that and what about this and what about that? So in the middle of this, he calls me. Imagine my delight. But listen to what he says. He says, here's what happened. I have to deal with this now. Here's what I want to do and why I want to do it. I shared this with my wife, whom I believe God has put into my life, at least in part, to give me wise counsel. And she's trying to talk me off the cliff. She says, no, 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 don't do that. And she gave me this reason, and she gave me this reason, and she gave me this reason, and she gave me this reason. And he said, Tom, I also think that God has put you in my life for times like this. He says, whatever you say, I will receive it as if from the Lord. I'm not kidding. Exact words, and I'll do it. And I said, so let me get this right. Whatever I say, it's from God? He said, yeah. Now he lives in a tent. And we don't talk. Um, what I said to him is I said, you know what? I said, I think your wife's about to be happier with me than you because I think she's right. I think she's right. And I think she's right for all the reasons she gave. And then here are two more. I think she's right for these two reasons too. And there was a long kind of quiet pause because he was real passionate about his opinion. And he said, okay, I will receive that as if from the Lord. See, he felt as though the Spirit confirmed what his wife was saying by what I was saying. And then he did that. Now, why did he do that? Because he didn't call me to win an argument with his wife, and he didn't call me so that I could tell him what I knew and what he knew I knew. He really wanted to hear. He called me because he really wanted to do the right thing. He wanted to hear from the Lord. I cannot tell you how many times I've called him or some of you, and I've sat down with you and said, here's what I need you to know, and here's what I need you to do. I need you to know that I want to make the right decision more than I want to get my way and more than I want to feel good about myself. And so what I need for you to do is to tell me the truth no matter what. Don't varnish it up for me. Don't shine on it. I know you love me. Our relationship is secure no matter what comes out of your mouth next. 
Say it. That's what I need. That's what you need. Wise counselors are established followers of Jesus. They're people whom you can count on to tell you the truth no matter what. Thirdly, wise counselors are people who have been where you want to go. Hey, if I want to make a financial decision, guess who I'm going to talk to? Somebody who's made some really good financial decisions. If I want to make a parenting decision, I'm going to seek out one of the many families in this church, praise God, who have wonderful adult children and who have made a series of really excellent decisions. And I want to know what they think. If I've got an issue in my marriage and I need to make a decision, I'm not going to the guy down the hall from me whose marriage is in the tank. I'm not calling up my friend whose marriage is in the tank. That's called commiserating. I'm looking for wise counsel. I'm calling someone whose marriage I admire and respect. They've clearly made the right kinds of decisions in life. I want to know what they think. Wise counselors are established followers of Jesus. They're people who are going to tell you the truth, and they've been where you're going. And by the way, don't ask a million people what they think. Pick two or three. Two or three. And stop there. So when God's Word is not clear on what you should do, when your heart is confused, it's like my friend, he thought he had it figured out, then he talked to his wife and he was all thrown into confusion. Then ask yourself, well, what does wise counsel say? But then if that's not clear, and only if it's not clear, then you go to question number four. What do my circumstances say? Now, why is that a legit question? Well, because we have a sovereign God who governs over even the minutest details of our lives, don't we? And so then sometimes it is through those details that you can begin to discern what the will of God is. I think that Paul speaks to that, for example. In Acts chapter 18, verse 21, he's leaving the church in Ephesus. Listen to what he says. He says, I will return to you. And then he says, if God wills. Now, would his return to them be consistent with the word of God? It would certainly seem like it would be. He would be of great spiritual benefit to them. He already has been. Would it be the desires of his heart? He loves those people. Of course he wants to go see them. Would wise counsel affirm that? I'm sure they'd all be going, right on, man, go do that. Great idea. But he's recognizing that God might disallow it nonetheless. I will return to you, he says, if God wills, meaning if God arranges my circumstances in such a way as to allow me to do it, I'll be back. He says essentially the same thing in his letter to the Romans. He's praying at the beginning of this letter, and then in Romans 1, verse 10, he says, I'm praying that by God's will, there it is, I may now at last succeed in coming to you, meaning that God will finally arrange the circumstances that would allow me to come to you because it's consistent with God's Word, it seems to me, and His mission for my life for me to do that. I clearly want to do it. Wise counsel is going, right on, do that but I'm recognizing that God's going to need to arrange for this to work. Now, he got to go to Rome, but I'm guessing he didn't go when he wanted, and since he went as a prisoner, I'm guessing he didn't get to go how he wanted. So think about that. Then there's this other part where he says that he desires to take the gospel into Bithynia, into this region, And he says, and the Spirit of Jesus prevented us from going in. How did he prevent him from going in? Well, he doesn't say specifically, but I think he prevented him through his circumstances. It just didn't work. And I think that because then he says, and then, having figured out it's a no-go in this direction, I got a vision, 
from a man from Macedonia. And he said, we concluded that that's the will of the Lord that we're to go there. So my point is that we need to pay attention to our circumstances. That is something to look at. But it's question number four, okay? And my point also is that sometimes, you know, you're going to feel like the, the Word of the Lord is leading you to do something, and it's going to be the desire of your heart to go do that something, and wise counsel around you is going right on, go do that. And the Lord will work through your circumstances to either prevent it when you want to do it, or to prevent it how you want to do it, or to prevent it, period. It's difficult, particularly when you really had your heart set on it. And in those moments, we've got to give God some credit, do we not? We have to assume that He has a greater plan, and that His greater plan is in accord with a greater wisdom. I remember the first time that I ever stepped foot on this campus, I came to have lunch with the former senior pastor, Dave Dorst, who's sitting right there today, ironically. So welcome, Dave. And he had invited me to, to kind of enter into a relationship with him, and I was really blown away by that. I had had him as a preaching professor at Knox Seminary, and he sent me a really nice letter. So anyway, I came down to Fort Lauderdale. I was living up in Palm Beach County to have lunch with him, and he gave me directions to the church, which led me all the way to here. But then here was the last part of his directions. He said, the church is located right behind an abandoned steak and egg restaurant, which used to be what Domino's is today. And I thought, man, that is an awful thing, you know, and a band is behind. I'm thinking, what kind of neighborhood is Rio Vista? <laughs> Good grief, you know, I'm taking all the valuables out of my car. <laughs> I mean, what's this going to be, you know? So I showed up, and sure enough, it was right behind an abandoned steak and egg restaurant. Parked over there, finally figured out where the church office was. And I remember as part of that lunch, I said to Dave, I, you know, I don't know how you guys don't own this property. I mean, like I was insulted for him, you know, how, how can you not own this? Like he'd never had this thought. <laughs> Nobody had ever broached this topic with him before, clearly. So I and my genius was going to step in and point out to him that, I mean, it completes your property. You've got frontage on federal. It completes your, you know, it completes your frontage on federal. You could build something out here and create a presence. Blah, blah, blah. It's the most strategically valuable property in the world to this church. How do you not have it? Now, it's 14 years later. I'm the pastor. We still don't have it. <laughs> and I've seen it go from an abandoned steak and egg to Vic and Irv's, which was a hot dog place complete with a walking, talking hot dog. So imagine the indignity of that. Then it was Cheeburger, Cheeburger. Then it was Dogma, another hot dog place. Better, by the way. And now it's Domino's, and it's never looked so good, truthfully. Really hasn't. I mean, it's the best it's ever looked. But it's not ours, is it? And it's not ours for lack of praying. I know that man prayed for that property. I know many of you have prayed for years for that property. I have personally walked around that little building praying that God would send a lightning strike. <laughs> it's not worked. It's terrible. It's not for lack of trying. I can't tell you how many hours in meetings that I've spent, city officials, 
architects, real estate specialists, lawyers, some of you, elders, other folks in the congregation. Letters have been written, offers have been drawn up, negotiations have been had with multiple owners, not one, like three, just since I've been here. Every time it's a no-go. Most recently, I was having dinner with a, a couple from our church here, and, you know, they asked me the obvious question, I mean, how in the world do you guys not own this? And, like, I'd never thought of that. And... But it's obvious, isn't it? Everybody asks that question. And they said, look, you know, if you guys can figure it out and get it for a reasonable, reasonable price, we'll, we'll help you get it. And I thought, good grief, Lord, I've never heard that. So we sprang into action. Great lawyer representing us, great real estate person representing us. Did everything we could, but bottom line, it didn't work out. And it is not the will of God, at least now, <laughs> when I'd like it, certainly not how I'd like it, and maybe, period, for us to have that property. Do you know how I know that? Because there's a dominoes on it. It's not rocket science. It's the will of the Lord for dominoes to be there. Do you know what the will of the Lord is for us? The will of the Lord is for us to accept that He must have a greater plan in accordance with a greater wisdom to trust that and to be the best neighbors that any Domino's pizza anywhere that has ever existed has ever had. We will patronize them. We will befriend them. We will help them in every way that we can to succeed. That's the will of God for us. But the point is that sometimes it looks like it's consistent with God's Word. I mean, my goodness, it's the most strategically valuable piece of property in the world to me. I kept saying, God, you own the whole world. I want this little tiny... That's it. It's not much. I don't feel like I'm overreaching here. It'll be the desire of your heart, trust me. Wise counsel and even unwise counsel will go, duh. And God will say, no, through your circumstances. Question number one, what does God's Word say? If that's not clear, question number two, what does my heart say? If that's not clear, question number three, what does wise counsel say? And if that even is not clear... Well, take a look at what's going on in your life because you have a God that governs over even the minutest details. And in those details, sometimes an answer is suggested. Okay? Let's pray. Father, we do thank You for all the good things that You have given us. You have given us Your Son. You have given us Your Word. You have given us Your Spirit. You have given us salvation, Lord. You have given us the mind of Christ. God, you've given us each other. Father, what more can we ask for? Blessing upon blessing is ours as your children. Blessing upon blessing is ours as your servants. Blessing upon blessing is ours as your sheep. Father, use this series and study to make us to know your voice. Lord, to draw us to you to help us to realize that you're the goal, and everything flows from there. God, we praise you and we love you. 
We pray in the name of our Savior. Amen.